Uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We're going to c- continue our, uh, our series in the book of Acts. Um, and uh, So go ahead, and, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We're gonna, we have a lot of verses to look at this morning. Uh, while you're doing that, uh, do just want to remind you that Troy is out of town uh, this week. He is in Georgia with Pastor Lee Ridings. Uh, he's, he's preaching a little conference down there, so uh, be praying for Troy while he's down there. And as Jeff had mentioned, he's headed to Albania this Tuesday, uh, so just be praying for him as well. You know, our church is a blessed church to, to have guys like Jeff and Troy who actually get invited places uh, to, to speak and to visit, um, and, uh, and then also that they would even have the, the means to be able to do that, and that's because of, of you guys. It, I truly believe it's, it's fruit on your account, so be praying for, for Troy and Jeff um, this week. All right? So I do um, just kind of want to give us a, a big picture of where we've been in Acts chapter 10, or in, really in the book of Acts. So you know, this week uh, in the book of Acts, let's just recap a little bit. We've been saying that Acts is a transitional book. Right? And, and I think we've seen that. We've been talking about it. We've seen it in a lot of different ways. But the scales begin to tip here today in, in uh, chapter 10. Chapters 1 through 7, as Troy has pointed out several times, those are mainly a Jewish, Jewish focus. Uh, chapters 13 plus is a Gentile focus. Uh, but as, as we saw last week, or we've been seeing, chapters 8 through 12 are really this transition within the bigger transition. All right, so if we're plotting this out on a line graph, okay, for all you nerds out there, um, as we see God's focus with the Jews begin to decrease, uh, we see his involvement with the Gentiles begins to increase. And in chapter 10 is that point of intersection where those, those two lines cross each other, all right? We're starting to see this, uh, the, the scales tip in this chapter. In this key portion of Scripture, uh, we have two key characters that we've been looking at. They're the primary focus of, of chapter 10. We have Cornelius. We looked at him last week as we got introduced to him. He was uh, an Italian. He, he was a, so a Gentile. All right. Uh, he feared the Lord. God took notice of his virtue and his sincerity. And um, he, he, even, uh, he, he didn't quite have it figured out, though. Right? Cornelius didn't quite. He was doing the best that he could. Okay, We'll give him credit for that. But he didn't quite have it all figured out, so our God is gracious to the humble, and to help Cornelius out, he sent him a vision and instructed him to send men to Joppa to find Peter. Uh, Peter had been in Joppa since Acts chapter 9, where he, he raised Tabitha from the dead, uh, and so God instructed Cornelius to send men to find Peter so that Peter could give them further instruction. And if you remember, the reason that Peter was required even though he was 30 miles away in Joppa. So Cornelius is in Caesarea. Uh, Peter is in Joppa. Uh, Philip, right? We, we, we've heard about Philip over the last several chapters. He was in Caesarea, but the reason that Peter had to come over 30 miles away and it took several days is because back in Matthew 16, Christ had given Peter the keys to the kingdom to be able to open the door of faith. He did that for the Jews in Acts chapter 2 and now to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. So Cornelius, he responded in obedience to the vision that he was given. He sent men to Joppa to find Peter, uh, who was staying with Simon the Tanner. Okay, so we'll see Simon mentioned a couple of times. Remember, uh, Peter's, you know, Peter used to be called Simon, right? He's called Peter now. He's staying with another guy named Simon. He's a Tanner, so not to get him confused. All right? Um, but I can't help... And this will maybe, this will maybe ruin Acts, cha- Acts chapter ten for you, like when you read through it on your own. But as I'm reading it, okay, and Cornelius is commanded to send his men to Joppa. All right, he's a you know he's a centurion, he's a soldier. I'm sure he's a he's a manly man. Um, and, but I can't quite help hearing him uh, with a, like a Schwarzenegger voice, you know. And so, you know, when he, when he commands, you know, he commands his men, right? He's like, get to the Joppa, right? I just can't. And so he sends them there to get them there. And so now as you read in your own quiet time, you're going to come across this in your schedule. And that will be ruined for you. But I heard it, and so now you have to hear it as well. Okay? And so this is where our stories begin to overlap. Uh, we'll see that they're interwoven throughout 
uh, our passage today because as Troy taught us last week, what God is doing in Acts chapter 10 is he's preparing these key characters for a dispensational change. He prepared Cornelius to receive the gospel, and today we'll see the process that Peter went through to be prepared to take the gospel to the Gentiles. All right, now we've got a lot, of, lot to cover, so if you've opened your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, we'll start uh, in verse number 9, and we're going to read through verse 23, okay? So let's read, let's read that, and then uh, we'll take a closer look at it. So Acts 10, 9 through 23. Uh, and on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, so this is the men that Cornelius sent, Peter went upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry. And would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet, knit in the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake again unto, uh, spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision uh, which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee unto this house. And to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them. And certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. All right? So there's a lot in there. So let's just get a sense of what's going on here. The men from Caesarea sent by Cornelius, they're on their way. Right? We see that as the passage starts out. And if this was a movie scene, all right, then we would kind of see the three men walking down the dusty road on their way to Joppa. It would fade, and there'd be a subtitle across the screen, you know, Meanwhile, in Joppa. At that point, we fly over the skyline of Joppa. We zoom in on Peter making his way up to the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house, all right? And that's where our story picks up. Now, Peter, we know Peter, right? He's a, he's a faithful disciple of Christ, and what he's doing here is he's just going about his daily walk with God. We know that it's the sixth hour, that's 12 o'clock noon, which is one of the hours of prayer for the Jew. He's currently God's go-to guy to get things moving and shaking in the book of Acts. All right? However, that doesn't mean that he's done growing, and we'll see that today. As he's praying, God speaks to him in a vision. He's essentially hearing from the Word of God a new lesson that he needs to get. He's initially resistant to what God wants to do through him, but eventually accepts what is, what is asked of him, and he takes the gospel to a new group of people that he was previously prejudiced towards. Through this event, we see the process that Peter has to undergo to prepare him for the change that God wants to bring about through him. So, as we study these points today, I, I want to take a moment, and, and I want you to ask God what he might have for you to learn through this example of Peter. As we go through it, I think we'll all see there's some things that we can relate to. There's some things that we need to do that Peter did when God was preparing him for change. And so I, as I take a moment to pray for all of us, why don't you just take a moment where you are and ask God to open your eyes, open your heart to what he might have for, for you today in his word, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we do come to you this morning and grateful to be able to, to share your word. God, I do pray that that is all that is communicated today, everything that your word has to say and, and nothing that it doesn't. Uh, God, just ask you to work uh, in each and every one of us uh, this morning, uh, that your spirit would have free reign and free course to, to convict us, to uh, teach us, to guide us, to instruct us, to change us, Lord. Uh, and, uh, and we just pray that that will ultimately be for our good, because it will ultimately be for your glory. So God, I pray that you be with us today and just teach us uh, from your word. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we have a lot to cover. Uh, when, and so when it comes to this process that we first see 
uh, that, uh, with, with Peter, our first point is that he was available through prayer. All right, so as he's going through this process, the first thing that we see is that Peter was available through prayer. Now, when Peter prays in the book of Acts, we need to, to look out because something uh, always happens whenever Peter prays, okay? Now, are we led to believe that, that this is the first time that Peter has prayed in the book of, of uh, you know, since Acts 8? That's the last time we saw him praying, uh, or Acts 9, excuse me. Um, no, this isn't the first time that Peter has prayed since Acts 9. It, it's clearly a part of his daily walk with God, right? He, he's, just, he's just going about, he's just a faithful guy, spending time with the Lord. It's 12 o'clock noon up, that's when I go up to the rooftop and pray, Right? So keep in mind that, that God might not have a personal revelation for you every time that you pray. But if you're not consistent in prayer, if you don't make yourself available through prayer, then you may never hear anything new from the Lord. Right? Peter is just going about what he, what he does. Right? He's praying at least three times a day, 9 o'clock, noon, and 3. All right? He's just going and he's doing that. God doesn't give him a vision every time. But if he wasn't available, if he wasn't consistent, he may not have gotten this word from the Lord. And the same could be true of you. Just be consistent. Be available in your prayer life. But we see in verse 9 that Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Okay, so he, he goes up on the housetop. What he does is, is he separates himself. He gets alone with God. This practice is undoubtedly something that Peter learned from Jesus himself. In fact, in Matthew 6, Jesus gives his disciples instructions when it comes to their personal prayer life. Matthew 6, uh, verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, if you struggle with your personal prayer time, let's just take some things away from what Christ is saying here. First, he's telling his disciples, enter into thy closet, right? In other words... Just get alone with God. Get alone with God. You know, this isn't Peter's house. This is Simon's house, right? Even if it was, doesn't guarantee that he had like an actual closet that he could go into. So what does he do? He makes do with what he has. He goes up onto the, the housetop. This would have been um, a flat roof, right? So he could go up there, spend some time up there. And he would have been away from everyone else. Christ continues in Math 6. He says, when thou hast shut thy door... All right, so what, what you do, you get alone with God, and then you shut out the rest of the world. You shut out everything else that's going on. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is sometimes the hardest part. Because when I actually finally do take the time to be still, right, my body might be still, it might be quiet, but man, your mind starts running, doesn't it? Right, it starts going. I have to study to be quiet. Sometimes we have... All of these things, all these distractions, right? Everything on our schedule that we have going on. Our mind starts to wonder. We start to worry about all the responsibilities that we have and so on and so forth. Well, in that time of prayer, what I do is my goal, excuse me, my goal is for me to refocus all those concerns into an honest conversation with the Lord, right? So I get alone with Him and I shut everything else out. Sometimes that means... All those things that are keeping my mind from focusing on him, I need to give those over to him. Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need your help with. Right? So you enter into your closet, you shut out the rest of the world, and then Christ goes on to say in Matthew 6, to pray to thy Father, which is in secret. That word secret, it means concealed. It's translated uh, other places, hidden or inwardly. This conversation isn't for others to hear. In fact, in the preceding verse in Matthew, Jesus criticizes hypocrites who pray in public for the attention, for everyone else to see them. All right, This should be an intimate time of prayer between you and the Lord. Now, these same instructions that Christ gave his disciples in Matthew 6, um, he employed in his own example when it came to his personal prayer life. We see in Mark 1.35 that um, Jesus went away into a solitary place to pray. Right, He got alone. He didn't go into an actual prayer closet, but he, he got alone. He, he separated himself. Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, right, he's shutting everything else out. All the multitudes sent away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Right? 
And this is exactly what Peter is doing. Peter saw the example that Christ gave him. He heeded the instruction that Christ gave him. uh, And he got away. And he made himself available to what God was doing through prayer. All right, and then verse 10, it continues. While he's up there, he became very hungry. It says he would have eaten, but while they made ready, right? So again, he separates himself while everyone else is getting lunch ready, essentially, right? Everybody's getting hungry. Everybody else is, is getting the food ready. Everyone else was cooking. Everybody else was working. Everybody else was doing something. But Peter, he secludes himself from what everyone else is doing because there is always something else that you could be doing other than prayer, right? There's always something else that you could be doing, but you have to shut those things, shut the door on those things, and get alone with God. Now, just a quick side note, this is a great picture of the responsibilities of a deacon. You know, our church is is currently going through the process of selecting new deacons, but what's happening here is Peter is allowing others to handle all the practical details so that, that he, the apostle, could, the apostle, could give himself to prayer. And we'll see the profound result of that that Peter spent with the Lord in, in our next point, right? Something big came from that time alone with God. Uh, but since we're in this process of selecting deacons, let me just use this occasion to charge our potential deacons and our church body to value the role of service so that our pastor can give himself continually to prayer and the ministry of the word, as we see in Acts 6.4. He has a heavy burden to bear when it comes to the spiritual state of this church, and so it's our joy and our privilege to help carry that burden so that he can spend time with the Lord, and that's exactly what's happening here with Peter. He's allowed others to serve tables so that he can get alone with God. He can give himself continually to prayer. Now, God had something mission critical for Peter, And because others were serving tables, Peter was able to hear from God because he elevated prayer above everything else that was vying for his attention. Sometimes we are ill-prepared for or even oblivious to what God has next for us because we have failed to prioritize prayer in our lives. And so I have it this way in your notes. Prioritizing prayer positions us to hear from God. Prioritizing prayer positions us to hear from God. That's what Peter did. He prioritized his time with God above everything else that was going on, even his own hunger, right? Even his own fleshly desires. He he put that time with God above that. And this is crucial for us to understand because all too often we look for what God has for us everywhere else, right? Books, podcasts, we, we ask advice from other people, etc. And those things can be helpful at times, but not when God is doing something new with you. We are constantly filling our minds with things that we think will give us some sense of direction. But if God is doing something specific in your life, where do you think you're going to hear about it? You're going to get it from some book that somebody else wrote? You're going to get it from what God is doing in someone else's life? No, you will receive that direction you're looking for when you position yourself to hear from God. You make yourself available through prayer. And listen, maybe you're new to this Christian walk. The earlier that you realize the importance of the regular time with God and you you begin to value that, the faster and deeper you'll grow with him. Maybe you've been walking with God for a while and prayer is a part of your routine, Don't let it become routine. You understand? Does that make sense? Continue to seek God with an open mind and expectant heart. Because it was when Peter was able to prioritize prayer in his own life that we see in verse 10 that he fell into a trance. He fell into a trance. Peter couldn't get the divine guidance from anywhere but prayer as the revelation that God was about to give to him, it wasn't disclosed yet. It wasn't available. He didn't have a completed Bible like we do today, so God caused him to fall into a trance and receive a vision. This is a method that that God uh, also used with Cornelius. We'll see that he also uses it with the Apostle Paul uh, later on in Acts. This is something that God did to get their attention and to give them instruction. The vision was filled with different pictures and types, okay? And since Peter first made himself available in this preparation for change, he was able to hear from the Lord, which brings us to our next point. 
he was able to acquire the picture. Peter acquired the picture. He got that vision from the Lord because he first made himself available through prayer. Verse 11 starts out and says, And he saw heaven opened. Now, again, we need to pay attention anytime heaven is opened in the book of Acts. So far up to this point, each time we see heaven open or something come from heaven in the book of Acts, there is a shift that's taking place. All right, We see it at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We saw that there was a sound from heaven, and that led to Pentecost, where Peter preached Christ to the Jews, many repented and were baptized, and the seed of the church was planted. We see it at the stoning of Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, right? It says, Behold, Stephen saying, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What's taking place here? We covered this in 7, but this was strike 3 for Israel. Christ was standing, prepared to return, but then they rejected the message of Stephen and God began to shift his focus outside of Israel. And then we look at uh, Saul, or as we know him, Paul, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. It says, There shined round about him a light from heaven. God used that to get the attention of Paul, and he was converted, and we know that he became the apostle to the Gentiles. So far, each time heaven opened or something came from heaven in the book of Acts, it was God advancing his plan. So when it opens here as Peter is praying, right, we don't want to miss what God is doing, because this time I believe it really is a tipping point in what God is doing in the book. So let's break it down, okay? Let's get a grasp on what's happening here. Because we'll see that even Peter struggled to grasp what was going on. He struggled to understand it at first. So let's take a look at some of those pictures and types. So the next point there is pictures represented in the vision. Pictures represented in the vision. Now you can see in your notes there, it's a bit of a Bible study. Uh, so let's dive into some doctrine and we'll come up for air with some devotional applications, Okay. So the first thing we're going to take a look at in this vision are the contents. The contents. This vessel comes down, there's something in it. Verse 12 says, Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. Based on Peter's response to God, which we'll look at that in more detail next, you might think that these were all unclean animals. Okay, but that's not the case. Verse 12 says that there were all manner of animals. That would include both clean animals and unclean. And you can look at Deuteronomy 14 if you want. You can see the list of all the clean and unclean animals. Um, but the reason that Peter considered them unclean is because they were mixed together. Right? According to Levitical law, they were to be separated. Clean and unclean animals were to be separated. But Peter considered them unclean because they were all mixed together. But let's look at Leviticus 11:46 and 47. It says, this is the law of the beast and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth. Notice this, to make a difference between the unclean and the clean, to separate the unclean and the clean, and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. Now, I want you to take note of that phrase there, make a difference, or as we see, put difference here in the next, uh, the next verse. Look at Leviticus 20, 25. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean, and ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. Okay, again, the Levitical law states that they need to separate the clean animals from the unclean animals. But the animals that we see in this vision, there's both clean and unclean, but they're mixed together. And here's what uh, is pictured in these animals in the vision. We come to see that this mix of animals is a picture of Jews and Gentiles together. Remember, this is the shift that we're seeing take place. God is moving from the house of Israel to the Gentiles right here in Acts chapter 10. Later in Acts 15, we see Peter recalling this vision that we're looking at today. There is a council that's taking place in Jerusalem where a group of Pharisees is arguing that these Gentiles need to be circumcised since they came to faith. And you can only imagine what the Gentiles are thinking, right? They're just kind of standing in the corner of this council like, this is not what we signed up for, okay? But thankfully, Peter stands up and he speaks out on their behalf. And look at what he says 
in Acts 15, 7 through 9. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about Acts chapter 10. And God said, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, as he did unto us. Now listen to this. What was the phrase I told you to listen out for? And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Put no difference. Levitical law said you have to put a difference between clean and unclean animals. Peter is saying God sent the gospel to the Gentiles so that we would put no difference between us and them, between us Jews and those Gentiles. And you know what's significant about this passage? Is this is the last time that we see Peter in the book of Acts. His name doesn't show up in the book after this event. It's also almost as if he's played his role. He stands up in the midst of all this uncertainty. He puts his stamp of approval on what God is doing with the Gentiles. And the transition is complete. He tags Paul. He says, you take it from here, partner. And then Peter rides off into the sunset of Scripture. Let's take a look at some of the verses that, that Paul then later wrote. Romans 10 and 12 says, For there is no what? No difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto them that call upon him. Ephesians 3, 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Seeing that we should be fellow heirs in Christ brings us to the vessel described in the vision. We understand the contents, the animals, right? They're a picture of Jews and Gentiles, so let's take a look at the container that they all show up in. This is found, uh, the, uh, those animals are found together in one vessel back in verse 11, where it says, And saw heaven uh, open, and a certain vessel descending unto them, as it had been a great sheet, knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth. All right, so it's referred to as a great sheet knit at the four corners. If you would, just imagine a tablecloth, all right, gathered up in each of the four corners, right, and then it's picked up, right? You kind of have like this, uh, whatever the, the thing that a hobo sh throws over their shoulder, you know, the little handkerchief hanging off of her, like when the stork shows up with your baby, right? Middle school, that's where kids come from, if you didn't know. Um, but, right, you just picture this, this, little, this little bundle, right, held in all the corners. So that's what you can kind of picture full of these animals. Okay, but that, that sheet, that vessel that is in the vision, this vessel is a picture of Jesus Christ. In him are found both Jews and Gentiles, and in him are all made clean, because there is no longer difference between the two. That goes for their means of salvation as well. They must be in Christ. Let's look at Galatians 3. <clears throat> It says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, right? That law, we're no longer under that law because it's brought us to Christ. That was the point. Verse 26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized, that just simply means placed into, it's not talking about water baptism, Baptism means to immerse, to be placed into. Baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, or in other words, Gentiles. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Look down 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized, again, placed into, not water baptism, but we're placed into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. We're all in Christ. And in here we see the three people groups found in Scripture. We see the Jew, we see the Gentile, and then once you are placed in Christ, you are a part of one body, the body of Christ, the church. Jew, Gentile, church. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no difference between us once we are in Christ, once we are in the church. So church, 
through what is happening here, I hope we can grasp the magnitude of what this means for us. We were former, former Gentiles, right? If you are in Christ, if you are a part of his church, you've been saved by grace through faith, you're a former Gentile and you are now in Christ. To the Jews, that we would be allowed in their club is an irritation. But to us, it is salvation. We, who according to Ephesians 2, were in times past Gentiles without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, we were strangers from the covenants of promise, we had no hope, we were without God in this world, we were once afar off, but now in Christ we were brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. By his cross we have peace. He has broken down the middle wall of partition. Through his sacrifice, he has abolished the enmity between us. Now we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the household of God. This is only made possible if you are found in Christ. And it is Christ who gave him the command. In verse 13 it says, And there came a voice to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. This voice in the vision. This is the voice of Jesus. It is the word of God. He gives Peter a command that Peter would, uh, that Peter would resist because Peter was still keeping Jewish law. But again, God is trying to teach Peter something new. We're moving past the law because now all men... Jew and Gentile alike are made clean by Christ. But Peter misses the point, and he's blinded by his own pride. Look at what he says in verse 14, but Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I'm still keeping that Levitical law. You must be mistaken. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. <laughs> this just reminds me when I'm with my kids, right? What, what, you tell them one thing, they don't do it, what do you say? Don't make me tell you twice, right? Uh-oh. Peter said, not so, Lord. So the voice came a second time, right? Not good for Peter there. The voice came again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Right, and that brings us then to the cleansing. So what were these Jews and Gentiles made clean from? We see in Romans 3, 9, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that all are under sin. We, are, we all have this problem of sin in our life. We're all under sin. And so this cleansing is made available to everyone, the Jew and the Gentile. Why? Because all have sinned. Romans 3 even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, there's that phrase again, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is where? Where is it found? In Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 29 uh, through 30, down a little further. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. The circumcision referring to the Jews, uncircumcision referring to us Gentiles. So how were we made clean? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. We are all under sin. For all have sinned. But we are all cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Now, Peter struggles to catch on sometimes, right? We, we see this in his history. So God performs this vision three times, right? We have this three count. Look in verse 16. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, this count is a pattern that we've seen in Peter's life, all right? We see back in John 13 that he denied Christ how many times? 
Three times, right? And then when, he, when Christ is on the shore with him in John 21, how many times does he ask Peter if he loves him? Three times, right? There's a bit of redemption from the denial. When God repeats something in Scripture, he's highlighting its importance. And so at the very least, we know that God repeats the vision three times because he really wants to make sure that Peter gets it, right? Peter, Peter, listen up, right? Hey, focus, listen to me, listen to me, Peter, right? So he does it three times. I don't want you to miss this. You're prone to miss things, Peter. Focus, focus, right? But the most direct context for the three takes of the vision is that there were three men sent to him from Cornelius, and the Spirit, or the spirit excuse me, points um, this specific detail out to Peter in a few verses. We'll take a look at that in a moment. But Peter isn't always the quickest to catch on to what God is doing. We see this in the progression of Peter's reaction to the vision. So now that we have a handle on the vision and, and what it all pictures, let's take a look at uh, Peter's reaction to the vision. Peter's reaction to the vision. The first thing that Peter does is he protested. He protested the vision. Right? We saw that in verse 14. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. <laughs> Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. He was doing so well, wasn't he? He was doing so good. Now he, here he is protesting a direct command from the Word of God. That's his pride talking right there. Doesn't his initial response remind you of the Peter we knew back in the Gospels? Right? We get, this little, we get this little flashback to what Peter was like. Let's take a look at what is perhaps one of his most infamous faux pas in Matthew 16, where Christ is telling him, listen, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to suffer these things. I, I have to be killed, but I'll be raised again. Look at verse 22. It says, Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Not so, Lord. That's not true. Don't, that's not going to happen. And what does Christ say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Listen to this. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And in Matthew, he was more concerned about what he thought Christ should do, more than what Christ said he must do. In that interaction with the Lord, and in this one in Acts 10, he's doing exactly what the Pharisees were guilty of in Mark 7, where Christ says, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. What was Peter concerned about? I've never eaten anything unclean or common. He's more concerned about keeping his tradition than obeying the voice of God. Peter rejected the clear command of God in the vision to hold to that tradition based out of the Levitical law. But how many of us are guilty of this at times? Rejecting God's command because we want to hold onto our way of doing things because we know best or because this is the way we've always done this, right? But Jesus had already taught his disciples that it's not an issue of what you eat that defiles you. If we look a little further down in Mark 7, it provides some great insight into Peter's response in Acts 10 when he was commanded to eat. It's here that Jesus says, it's not what you put into your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out, because out of the heart proceeds all of these evil things. Right? And you, you can see it there. You can look at that later. But one of these evil proceedings that defies a man, or excuse me, that defiles a man listed in here is pride. We see it in verse 22 there of Mark 7. And that was Peter's issue. And it led to his protest to God's command. Listen, pride prohibits your obedience to God. Now, let's cross-reference that with, with um, let's cross-reference Mark 7 with Luke 6, uh, verse 45 and 46. It says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. Right? It's what's coming out of your heart. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaketh. And then look at verse 46. This is like written straight to Peter. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? 
Jesus is saying, you can't call me Lord and then not do what I command you to do. And this is really the heart of the issue for Peter. He responded to a clear command from God with, not so, Lord. As Dr. W. Graham Scroggy wrote, you can say no and you can say Lord, but you cannot say no, Lord. If Christ is Lord of your life, you do not have the liberty to reject his command. If he is truly Lord, then you can only say yes and obey. Peter eventually relented and repented, but it was a process. After the vision was completed and the sheet went back up into heaven, we see that Peter was left there perplexed. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, in verse 17, right? So this crazy thing happens, and after the vision, Peter experiences this moment of confusion. Now, he didn't doubt the validity of the vision. It says that he doubted in himself what this vision uh, he had seen should mean, right? He just didn't quite understand what it meant. And so he kept that on the inside. He was dealing with that. So he continued then to ponder the vision, as we see in verse 19, while Peter thought on the vision, right? So he meditated on what God had told him. He didn't ignore it. He didn't explain it away. God was clearly speaking to him, and he wanted to understand it. When God is trying to teach you something new, what do you do with it? Do you shake it as quick as you can because it doesn't fit into your idea of how to do things? Do you explain it away, right? We saw that Peter was hungry. He would have eaten. He could have said, huh, this vision all about this food, man, it must just be because my stomach's empty. I better go eat something. Which, to be fair, that's how I respond to a lot of things. Confusion, sadness, gladness, it doesn't matter. Man, I should go eat something. All right, but let's take a cue from Peter. When God gives you something that doesn't make sense to you, think on it. Meditate on it. Don't let it go. Don't explain it away. God's trying to talk to you. And listen, when God shows you something in his word that you don't understand, assume that there is something wrong with you and not with God's word. Even though it didn't come right away, we find later in the chapter that he perceived the meaning of the vision. He, he finally got it, right? Even though he's a little slow, he eventually gets it with the aid of the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in our next point. But, but look ahead in Acts 10. Uh, this is a conversation with Cornelius and all that gathered at his house. Look at, look at what Peter says. Um, he's saying, you know, it's unlawful for a man as a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, right? We're, we're putting difference. He's saying it used to be unlawful to put difference uh, or, or to, to, to uh, gather together. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. What was the vision of? The vision was animals, right? But, but Peter later came to understand what God was talking about. And he realizes God's telling me that not to, to, not to put a difference between men, between a man, between Jews and Gentiles. Peter initially reacted in protest to what God was asking him to do. He thought, I've never eaten any unclean animals, but he eventually came to realize that God wasn't talking about animals. He was talking about men, and God was commanding Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles. As God was preparing Peter through the vision, again, our movie scene, it cuts back to these three men sent from Caesarea as they arrive in Joppa, right? Now our subtitle, Meanwhile, Outside of Simon the Tanner's Gate. In verse 17, now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, Simon the Tanner, and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, surnamed Peter, were lodged there. So keep in mind that God has been preparing for a change to shift his focus from Jews to Gentiles. He has orchestrated everything behind the scenes, including the vision given to Cornelius the arrival of the three men from Caesarea to find Peter lodged in Joppa. And now that Peter has received his vision from God, everything is falling into place. All we need now is for Peter to get what's going on, right? To see what God wants to do with him. And luckily, he does. Because our third point is that he accepted his purpose. Peter finally caught on to what God was doing, and he accepted his purpose. 
While Peter thought on the vision in verse 19, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? So here we see a change of heart in Peter. While he initially protested against God's command, he knows better than to do it again when the Spirit tells him what to do. He said, get down with those guys. He accepts that God has prepared him for something and that he needs to obey. Peter may not have completely understood what God was communicating at first, and that can be the case for us at times too, so take heart, we're in good company. Sometimes we know that the Lord is working in us, but we may be uncertain to what extent. So it requires more prayer, more study, more patience, until the Spirit speaks expressly to us. That's what Peter exercised. He meditated on what he heard from God in verse 19 until the Spirit did these three things for him. Look at this. The first thing that the Spirit does, the Spirit gives Peter understanding. He says, behold, three men seek thee. He's referring back to the vision, right? We saw it happen three times. And so the Spirit's like, hey, Peter, snapping his fingers again. Three men seek thee, okay? And he says, I have sent them. So he gives Peter understanding of the vision or, or that, that he got from his word. Then he gives Peter instruction. What does he tell him? He says, arise, therefore, get thee down and go with them. And then he gives him reassurance. The Spirit tells him, doubting nothing. Right? Earlier we saw that Peter was doubting the vision before, but God tells him to go without any second thoughts or concerns or any hesitation because he had sent these men. So, so the Spirit gives him understanding, instruction, and reassurance from his word. That's how it works for us as well. We make ourselves available to what God is saying by preparing our hearts through prayer. God speaks to us through his word, and the Spirit guides us into understanding and spurs us on to obedience. Peter's response to what God showed him is a great example of what our response should be. Right? How did Peter respond? Well, he responded with immediate obedience to what God said. It says, then Peter went down to the men. Right? The Spirit said, arise, get down with them, and go with them. So what did Peter do? He went down to them. And he responded with complete faith in what God said. He shows up, he goes down to the men, he says, behold, I am, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? Right? He's still asking questions. He didn't completely understand what he was supposed to do next or what they wanted. All he knew is that God said to go with them, and that was enough for Peter. When God tells you to do something, is that enough for you? Or do you require more details? You require more answers. Maybe you require more time. But Peter, uh, Peter responded with immediate obedience and complete faith. Because the truth is, God has already given us our purpose. Peter accepted his purpose. God has given us our purpose, and our purpose is the same as Peter's. It's to take the gospel to those that need it. We have all been commanded in Mark 16, 15 to preach the gospel to every creature. And I love the way it's worded there, every creature. So if you're, if you're guessing whether or not you should preach the gospel to someone or not, it doesn't matter what kind of creature they are, the answer is yes, Right? Peter was commissioned to take the gospel to a group of people that he initially resisted, but God wanted to use him for that purpose. Consider, is there a group of people that God is calling you to reach, but maybe you protest that they are unclean? Is there a purpose that God has for you, for your life, that you've been resisting or rejecting? If you're ready to accept it, then the question becomes, are you prepared? Are you prepared? This process we saw today prepared Peter for what God had next for him. But the truth is, Peter's preparation started long before he went up on that housetop. Because let's uh, finish out with our last couple of verses in our passage. It says, And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into, the, into his house and to hear words of thee. 
Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. But look at what they wanted from Peter. What did they want? They wanted to hear words of him. Well, what words? Well, we can look at Peter's past, and we can see that he had already been prepared to some degree for what this group of Gentiles needed. Look at John 6, 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast, what? The words of eternal life. Jesus took those words, invested them into Peter and the other disciples. In John 17, Jesus says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. Now that Peter had what was needed, he had the words. He was prepared, and then he was sent to share those words of eternal life. And that's the process we see in Romans 10, 12 through 18. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How, sh- how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Peter was sent to those Gentiles. Jump down to verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Peter had what they needed. He had the words, but God had to prepare him to get the words to them. So again, I ask, are you prepared? Do you have what others need? Because we have the word of God right here. We also have a process at First Baptist Church to prepare you, to teach you the words of God from Sunday mornings to our training hour, to ministry tools and training, to personal discipleship, to our Bible Institute. Prepare yourself with training so that when God has something new for you, you'll be ready. You make yourself available through prayer. God will speak to you. He'll give you instruction from his word. And then it's up to you whether or not you're going to accept what God has commanded. Or will you respond, not so, Lord. For those of you that are being trained or prepared, ask yourself, have you been seeking God for what he has next for you? Has he spoken to you? Will you resist him or will you obey him?